Before I left to go to Israel, Larry and some of the other guys asked me what direction we were going to sort of go in after I returned from Israel. And I really didn't have an answer readily available until Sue made me give her a sermon title and some scripture. And so I really feel like this is what the Lord would have us to talk about, not only today, but next week as well, why Israel needs the gospel. And we're going to learn in the next 25 minutes or so how all of us need the gospel, but because your pastor was recently in the Holy Land, I had a whole lot of conversations with a whole lot of people, and Israel needs the gospel. And I know of no better person than the Apostle Paul, who had a great love for his people, the chosen people, the, the Hebrew nation, the, the Israelites, the, the, the Jews, rather than to speak from some of the letters that he wrote from. The first one we're going to look at is in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, or your Kindle, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And verse 7 says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe Paul always goes to great lengths to teach God's Word to anyone and everyone who will listen. And even you being here today, your feet cast a vote, I need Jesus. And you may not even know it yet, but you're here for a reason. You're not here by happenstance. You're, you're, you're not here by chance. There, there is a plan in play here if we're willing to listen and to trust in God. I believe Paul expressed his desire over and over again through the book of Romans as well as the book of Acts, his desire to get to Rome. In Romans chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 it says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, meaning the Gentiles, non-Jews, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So while he is writing this letter to the Roman believers, he, he brings our attention to several different subject matters. The first one is living by faith, by learning how to be unashamed of the gospel. I wanted to be a witness while I was in the Holy Land, so I attached a Jesus keychain to the back of my backpack so that everywhere I went, those people who were walking behind me saw the name of Jesus. So I did that intentionally so that maybe it would stir up a conversation or two. Where does an attitude like that come from? Well, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I've been accused of a lot of things over 30 years of ministry, but being ashamed of the gospel is not one of them. I love to tell people about Jesus. I love having conversations about our Lord. How do we get to that point in our lives? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Now again, because I've been in the Holy Land, and many of you have been in the Holy Land as well, and there's just something that, that grabs a hold of our heart when it says to the Jew first, to God's chosen people first, but then also to us as well. Romans also teaches us a lot about the wrath of God that will come upon unrighteousness or those who continue in sin, verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I saw a lot of passion for God while I was in Israel, but I also saw a lot of suppression of the truth. Because they do not believe, at least Orthodox Judaism does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They know that Jesus existed and they say he was a good guy, but he was neither a prophet nor was he a king and he certainly was not the Son of God. Paul concludes in chapter 2 speaking about God's law and also how it was broken over and over again by so-called God's people. In verse 23 of Romans 2, it says, You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking the law. Does that sound familiar? We see in God's Word that we're not supposed to do something, but we do it anyway, and then we say, Well, did God really mean that for us? Did God really say that? It sort of reminds me of going back to the garden where Satan told Eve that. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that for you and Adam? And so today we, 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 we live in a world of moral ambiguity. We, we, we live in a world with, with a lot of moral relativism that says, you know what, if it feels good, I'm going to do it, and I don't care what the Bible says. And so we find ourselves getting into trouble, not once, not twice, but over and over again, making the same mistakes, committing the same sin, because we are unwilling to listen to the truth. And again, we see the suppression of the truth among the Roman believers. So with that being the case, are Jews above keeping the law just because they are Jews? Well, I think that's answered biblically. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, it says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Since it doesn't matter what you call yourself or what nation or tribe you are from, we are all under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. All of us probably have had conversations with people that are good people, but they're lost people. And if they don't know Jesus Christ, no matter how good they are, no matter how much of the law they keep, when they die, they go to hell. And that's why we've got to be willing to speak the truth in love. We've got to stop allowing the truth to be suppressed because we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody. And I know that possibly my keychain may have offended someone because it had the name of Jesus on it. But I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And if we claim that Jesus Christ is our Savior, we should not be ashamed of Him either. So, why do the Jews need the gospel? Why do the Gentiles need the gospel? Why, why do the Greeks need the gospel? Why do the barbarians need the gospel? Why do those who are circumcised or uncircumcised need the gospel? Because none of them are righteous in and of themselves. You see, when I got saved and you got saved, we became righteous, not by the works of our own hands, but by the hands that were nailed to a tree 2,000 years ago. That's why you and I can claim any righteousness in our own personal lives. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So what does it mean for all have 
sinned. What does that really mean? The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So whether we are Jew or Gentile, we are justified or saved by grace that's given to us as a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough for it. And I'm afraid many of us today are living with a works-based salvation that's going to end in destruction rather than trusting in the grace of God. Paul writes in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's a $3 theological word that means that it satisfies. That yes, that God was satisfied by the blood of His Son to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. You see, before Jesus was virgin born and lived sinlessly and died vicariously, those in the Old Testament were made righteous by faith. They trusted God. And it was through that trusting in God that they were made righteous. So their former sins were passed over. But then now, the reality is that Paul understood that when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, we actually traveled along that road where Paul was blinded while I was in the Holy Land. That he developed this deep, abiding concern for his people Israel, even after everything they had done to Paul. And if there's anybody in Scripture besides the Lord Jesus Himself that had a reason to maybe turn their back upon their chosen people, upon their family of people, it would have been Paul. Why? Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, sleepless nights. Five times he was beaten by the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes save one. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned by rocks. Danger from false brothers, danger at sea, danger in the wilderness, danger in the city, danger outside the city. I mean, Paul experienced it all. But all it did was drive him to his knees to pray for his people. He still loved and he prayed for Israel's salvation. Turn over a few pages to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. You know what he's saying? I would go to hell for my brothers and sisters that are Hebrews. I love that people so very much that I would consider myself cursed. He had a love for others. My kinsmen according to the flesh, they're Israelites, and of them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, that is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You see, the Jews were a chosen people that everything that God had lined up was a shadow of the things yet to come, pointing them to Jesus, yet they rejected the Messiah. People are still rejecting the Messiah to this day. Oh, not only did Paul have a concern for the Jews, he also had a desire for them. Look in Romans 10. 
The Bible says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I got to go to the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall, which is part of the Temple Mount, three different times. I went one night with 80,000 of my friends on the eve of Shabbat, the Sabbath, which for the Jews begins at 6 p.m. on Friday night. And me, being a little country Christian boy from West Limestone, I'd forgotten that. So I got caught up in a crowd of people moving toward the Western Wall. And the sight that I beheld, the passion and the zeal for God that I saw in those Orthodox Jews, many of them divining, I heard the word, doing this number. You know what they were praying for? They were praying for the Messiah. I wanted to scream on one of the top steps and say, He's already come and He's coming back. They missed Jesus. And part of the reason why the Jews missed Jesus is so that we as the Gentiles could know Jesus. Even God had a plan in that. We'll talk more about that next week. So what do we do? What do we do with the people who have rejected our Lord? The chosen people of God, Romans 9 and 31. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Those 613 rules and regulations, even if you got 612 out of 613, you were guilty of all of them. You say, Joel, that's not fair. I'm not talking about fairness. I'm talking about the law of God. See, Jesus came to not do away with those 613 rules. He came to fulfill them all. And when you and I believe in Him, we have then fulfilled the law. But there is a whole genre of people called the Hebrews that still miss that to this day. Oh, yes, there are some Messianic Jews, individuals who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Yeshua is the Messiah, but countless millions of others have missed him. Yes, they have a zeal for God, but they missed the Messiah. Look back at verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So what did they do? They created rules. They created bylaws. They created things that they could tell others that you've got to do this, and if you do this enough, then you'll be pleasing in God's sight. They established their own. The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible. The Torah, equal the law. The Nevim, the prophets. The Ketuvim, the writings. Then the Mishnah, which is called the Oral Torah. Mainstream Judaism interprets this to mean that God gave Moses commandments that were not written in the Torah. Then the Gemara, the rabbinical discussions and debates regarding the interpretation of the Mishnah. Then the Talmud, the combined record of the Mishnah and the Gemara together. Then the Midrash, a form of rabbinic commentary and interpretation. Over time memorial, they kept coming up with rules. They kept coming up with writings saying, if you'll be obedient to all this, then God will love you. My friend, they couldn't even keep the Ten Commandments. So how in heaven's name will they keep all this? Jesus understood that. That's why he came and died on the cross. So that we don't have to follow the Mishnah and the Gemara and the Talmud and the Midrash. 
All we must do is believe in Jesus. The vast majority of us in this room have. But there is a whole nation that up to this moment has rejected the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul then states in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So instead of keeping thousands of rules and regulations, all you must do is repent and believe in the gospel. He brought it down to the bottom shelf so that people like me and people like you could be saved. Because no one, there's none righteous, there's no one who seeks after God according to the word. But yet you and I can repent of our sins and believe by faith. Romans 10 verse 12 for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew or Palestinian, Arab or American, any tribe, any language, any tongue who is willing to call out and be saved. I'm so grateful for that. In fact, Revelation 14:6 gives us a little glimmer. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead and an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth so that every nation and tribe and language and people. So the gospel is not just for the Jews. The gospel is not just for us. It's for everyone who believes. Probably in a group this size, there are some of us who believe I've gone too far. I may have committed the unpardonable sin. No, friend, just by you being here today lets me know you hadn't committed it. Because if you've committed it, then you've been set aside and you'll have no thought whatsoever for the things of God. So there is a reason why you're here today. God does have a plan for your life. But listen to me. We know that we have to live in this world, but we don't have to be of this world because the world thinks that our gospel is stupid, that our Savior is crazy that our Bible is error, that our God is imagined, and our morality is old-fashioned. So then what do we do? What do we do in 2019 with just a few days left in this year? The Bible says in verse 14 and 15, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Today, friend, would you be willing to say, Lord, send me. Send me, Lord. I got called to preach when I was 17 and I ran from God for seven years. Don't do what I did. If God's tugging at your heart, if God is calling you to preach His Word, to sing His Word, to lead others to His Word, I would encourage you today to surrender and say, Lord, here I am, send me. I believe as we look at the world stage today, based upon Israel becoming a state on May the 14th, 1948, there are some politics involved, but I want to set aside the politics and just look at the Word of God. Why should we love Israel? Why should we protect Israel? Why should we, as followers of Jesus, support Israel? I think the answer is very simple, and it's also biblical. Notice on the screen with me, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
I want you to go from your country, the land of Ur, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And sure enough, Abram became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah. And as they say, the rest is incredible history. But what about us today? What about city-states and countries and continents and nations that have lifted up their hand against Israel? The Bible says, I will bless those who bless you. But him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Some of you have military background. Some of you went to the war college and other different disciplines and you were taught about wars you were talking uh, you, were, you, were, you were taught about Israel and all that they had to go through and if you'll look at history of the many nations that raised up their hand against Israel who were now on the ash heap of history ancient Egypt the Philistines the Assyrians the Babylonians the Persians the Greeks the Romans the Byzantine Empire the Crusaders the Spanish Empire, Nazi Germany, the former Soviet Union, and that's just to name a few. So should we as followers of Jesus Christ be willing to bless the nation of Israel? Absolutely. And the greatest blessing that we can be to Israel is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Because that's what the Word of God teaches. And it may not be your political persuasion, but that's irrelevant. What does the Bible say? What does God's Word say? One of the evenings, right outside the Jaffa Gate, I was staying in a hotel called the Gloria Hotel. I became friends with one of the proprietors. His name is Jamal. Jamal said, I've given you a room. It's room 413. It has a stairwell outside of it, and you can go and stand upon the top of the hotel, and you can see all of Jerusalem. I did a Facebook Live from that position. David's Citadel was just to my left. The Jerusalem Wall was right in front of me. And I remembered Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. And now that I've stood there in old Jerusalem, I really understand this Davidic psalm of how much he loved his city, how much we love our city, the city of Athens, how much we love our community, that there would be peace and that there would be security. My last day in Israel before I flew out of Tel Aviv, Ben-Gurion Airport over to Amman, Jordan before my long flight home to Chicago, then Huntsville. I'm sitting in the courtyard of Jerusalem University College and I hear these F-16s coming. 
I'd watched the news that morning and the rockets coming out of Gaza from the Islamic jihadists. And then I saw those F-16s heading south to give overwatch to what was going to be taking place over those next few days. Joe texted me and said, have you been watching the news? And I said, yes, I have. She said, are you in danger? And I said, no, baby, I don't really think so. There's no rockets being lobbed at Jerusalem nor at Tel Aviv at this time, and the airport is still open. I think I'm still going to get to come home tonight. So, of course, I made it home safely on Wednesday night, and I'm very grateful for that. But Joe and I got to talking, and she says, you know, I never got really word until I said, you know, where are all the papers in case something does happen to Joel? So part of our undertaking over the next few days, before my next trip, she'll know where all the papers are. But I got to tell you, there was something about being there that just created a safety in my heart. That everything was going to be all right, regardless of what happened. That's what David was saying in this psalm. He goes on to say, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. When I re returned from Jordan, I had a few hours free, and I decided to walk around the perimeter of the walls of Jerusalem, all the way around from Jaffa Gate to Jaffa Gate. All the gates were open. The Damascus Gate was open, and the Muslim quarter, the, the Jewish quarter, the Armenian quarter, the Christian quarter, all of those were open. But there was one gate still closed and shut down. Golden Gate. And I just paused in front of the Golden Gate during my walk and went, One day, Jesus, that gate's going to be opened. It's going to be opened again. And listen, friend, at that moment, some of your faces came to my mind of things you've been going through, things that has broken you. And many of us here today, we may not know Christ. If you want to experience that great gathering of 1 Thessalonians 4 when Christ comes back in the clouds, you better know Him. Don't just have a zeal for God. Don't just have a passion for God. You've got to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Does Israel need to be saved? Of course they do. But so does Athens, Alabama. And I pray that if you don't know Him, that today is the day. I want you to bow your heads with me.